Hello, and welcome to another episode of Go Native, the Business of Native Plants. I'm Cammie Donaldson with the Native Plant Horticulture Foundation. I'll be taking over as host from Mitzi Sosa. Mitzi, thank you so much for all your work on this podcast. We hope to bring Mitzi back on the air as a guest later this year. In this episode, we'll hear Mitzi talk with two native plant businesswomen, Laurel Schiller and her daughter Annie, with Florida Native Plants Nursery in Sarasota, Florida. My name is Annie Schiller, and I am the daughter of Laurel Schiller. I'm doing managing design and consultations for the nursery and install. And then my mom is co-owner and manager. We are the Florida Native Plants Nursery based in Sarasota, Florida. We are a retail nursery open to the public. We offer garden consultation design and we do a little bit of our own growing, but mostly we source our native plants. We also have some edibles and very few Florida-friendly plants. So we're not 100% native nursery. Our public comes from all over Sarasota and Manatee County, including the Naples area, and then as far north as Tampa. Mm -hmm. And we have been doing this for 40 years now. We're celebrating (laughs) our 40th anniversary this year. We are multi-generational. We are women-run, small business. Women-owned. Women-owned. What else can we say? Started in 1982. Tim Cash started it. He was a local Floridian that began to think about why aren't people using the plants of Florida, the native local regional plants, instead of always importing plants from other parts of the world. So I think the industry really took off in the early 80s with some with some interesting pioneers. And Tim was one of the first. Uh, about 10 years after starting his nursery, he died unexpectedly. His parents tried to run it for several years. And then I found two partners and we bought the nursery. So we're up and going between 94 and 96. So that's kind of our background. We used to be wholesale and retail. But um, what we discovered was that individuals that wanted to use our plants in landscaping were driving out to the nursery, which is about 17 miles into the country, buying our plants and then doubling and tripling the price before they got back to Sarasota, the city of Sarasota. So we said, well, why did we could do this? We could sell directly to the public. And Tim hadn't done that except by appointment. So we decided to reinvent ourselves as a retail nursery and then eventually just went completely retail with an education base, as, as we talked about earlier. So that's that's kind of how we evolved over time. And then I have since bought my partners out. And now my daughters come into the business and son-in-law. And they live at the nursery now. So, so we're family run. We also try to run our nursery sustainably. So When I moved back to Florida in 2009, I wanted to run the nursery without Roundup and without chemical fertilizers. 
we live at the nursery and our, my kids are at the nursery and they run around playing at the nursery and we have, we're open to dogs and other kids coming out. So it was really important to us that we have a healthy environment at the nursery for the public, as well as, you know, when our plants leave our nursery, we wanted them to be as healthy and a chemical for a synthetic chemical free <laughs> as possible. We also have found that when it comes to certain host plants, we have grown ourselves. We try to grow ourselves. Like when it comes to our milkweeds or our other butterfly host plants, it's important to us that they're chemical free. So we either extremely vet our growers to make sure that they're growing without systematic pesticides. And we also grow ourselves just to have that extra security because it's very important to a lot of our customers that our plants be healthy <laughs> for caterpillars. Uh, in all stages of insect growth. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And like you build a direct base where you are and people know exactly what you're able to provide. So was native plants or just growing plants an interest that you've had always? Or how did that relationship evolve to owning a nursery? I was a, I am a wildlife biologist and I taught and worked at university level. And then I also worked for fish and wildlife and museums and had had a previous career that was based on wildlife studies and habitat studies. And when I came to Florida, I wanted to create habitat. And so before I even came down here, I wanted to find land and start growing the native plants of Florida and learning about them. So that to me was my emphasis before I even came here. And I wanted to work outdoors and I wanted to work with the plants. Most of my life had been a, previously in career had been research oriented and you spend a very short period of time in the field and most of the time in the lab. So I wanted to be outdoors. And I also wanted to work for myself. That was a big, important idea. When you work for others, your time's not your own. I wanted to work independently. So that was my interest in buying a nursery was to be able to start having a family run business where I could work long hours, but at the same time, that was for the family. So that's kind of my background on that. And you want to tell your background on I grew up in Florida and was involved here and there with my mom and her business as a preteen and teenager, but mostly interested in the art world and art scene. And I went to school for art. <laughs> and after graduating, I went to New York. And then I realized that the big city was not for me and I wanted to work outside and not in offices. And so I moved back down to Florida around the time of the recession to help my mom with the nursery. And I fell in love with the work. And it really wasn't until I started working with the plants and getting to know them that I started really making those like connections that a lot of our customers and clients make where, where you discover the importance of the plants and to the environment and to wildlife. And I think once that like switch is flipped, you like can't go back. Then it becomes like an obsession, and, like just a passion. But what's also interesting is that I feel like my creative endeavors through art and working with a lot of found objects and doing installation art in college 
which is kind of where you transform a, a gallery space into um, your art piece and you like transform the space. I feel like a lot of that has transferred to working with native plants and doing design work. So there's still a lot of creativity involved in designing and gardening. Plants are an incredibly rewarding and interesting to work with because they're unpredictable <laughs> to a certain extent and constantly changing. I think plants are a wonderful medium to work with too. It's very challenging if you think about it from an art perspective with the plants because the palette is constantly changing. <laughs> and you mentioned that you moved here from, you were doing work as a wildlife biologist. Where'd you move from? <laughs> I came here from Chicago. And I also worked at the Field Museum. And then I did my undergraduate and early graduate work out in Oregon. What was the connection of being in Chicago and Florida plants? <laughs> so I wanted to be able to grow year round, which is what we're afforded here. You know, the plants, I always tell people we may have trouble with the heat and humidity, but plants love it. You know, <laughs> the native plants. I wanted a farmer type life. I wanted um, to get up in the morning and go to bed at night and be outside working with plants. So that's that was my draw to come here. It sounds like, you know, you both made a transition from something that you love doing and kind of started onto the, the nursery. Is there some things that you know now that you wish you would have known before you launched yourself into the nursery? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. But basically, my love is to create habitat, and that's what's most needed. We've lost so many of our, so much of our biodiversity, and where I wanted to turn around and focus down here was on urban and suburban changes to the environment and how we might create habitat for birds, butterflies, all forms of wildlife in a coexisting way with all of us. So as homeowners and business owners and users of Florida, that was kind of my emphasis. And I knew it right from the beginning. And it's worked out and very rewarding. I also think it's important that I learn them as I went along, because if I had known how challenging some things were, it might have been a deterrent. <laughs> I came into this with only a little bit of knowledge of native plants about you know 11 years ago i was starting at the same level that a lot of our clients and customers start at where like you're you become kind of shocked to know that a lot of the plants you see around you are actually not native in most people's yards and then you there's a lot of politics surrounding plants and landscaping and the environment in florida that can be very frustrating but also you know, the reward has been so amazing. Like it makes me feel good to do what I'm doing. It's like with every plant in the ground that's native, I'm like, okay, I'm making a difference. There's a lot of politics involved and there's a lot of educating constantly involved, both clients and uh, some handholding, a lot of handholding through the process for a lot of people. But, but you got to reward... keep your goals in mind. Yes. You know, that's the whole thing. Yeah. And that's the end of the day is that, you know what you want to do and you know where you want to evolve to over time. And then you just, you just work on that. Yeah. I like to just bring it back to what our main goal is all the time. Whenever we get frustrated, I'm just saying, okay, 
the main goal is for wildlife. Like even if a client is not happy with the way this plant looks like (laughs) this time of year, that's important, but it's also really not what it's about. So (laughs) I'm constantly pulling it back to like the habitat for wildlife, the importance for pollinators all the wonderful things yeah. that we love about nature water plants. conservation water. lack of pesticides it's, it's fertilizers it, fertilizers it's all it's all about that this is the kind of planting that a populated planet overpopulated planet needs to begin to to work with would you say that from transitioning and learning about all of the difficult roadblocks you may meet like you mentioned uh, politics do you think that was one of the most surprising things that you found as you came into the scene? There's a lot of little things that have been surprising along the way. Working with clients in the public has been very surprising. One of the things that always surprises me is the lack of connection between people putting pesticides around their house and their use of pesticides and then their passion and want to garden for pollinators and butterflies. So, you know, there's a challenge there, but when people make the connection and like, oh, wait a minute, I can't put pesticides around my property and have a butterfly garden. It's surprising for them. And it's surprising for me that that was even a thing. (laughs) And then I would say sometimes the plants themselves surprise me. Like I'll think designing and working with plants that they'll behave a certain way. And sometimes they don't. I was and always have been sort of amazed that people know so little about plants. You know, they may watch nature programs, enjoy learning about wildlife, but plants are a total disconnect. The lack of knowledge on how to garden in their new home and environment was a surprise to me. What has been the most rewarding thing about the nursery? The lifestyle. Yeah. I enjoy every day. I love to work with plants. I think that's the basis of it. I like learning about them. I like watching all the wildlife that come into the nursery on a daily basis. I would tell people that there's a lot of education involved in bringing the public on board. I had two partners early on that were retired and they just want to work with plants, but you have to sell the plants, you know, and you have to sell the public so that you can sell the plants. So there's a real people emphasis too in working with the plants. It's just not spending your day around plants. So I have thoroughly enjoyed that part of it. And we meet wonderful people. The people that find us are usually interested in the same things we're interested in. So they get there and they're like, we love this place. We try to make the nursery a destination. So we garden with the plants that we sell. So we have like older species on the grounds that people can look at to see like how big they get over a certain amount of years. And people can see the butterflies and the birds at the nursery. And we have a resident hummingbird that hangs out. And that's very rewarding. And we do get to wake up and go to bed in the area of the plants. So, and I say, whoever comes through that gate is someone I want to know. You know, it's one of those industries that is based on environmental ethic. So, when people come through, they may not be knowledgeable, but they're willing to learn. But on the way out of town to our nursery, which is 17 miles, 20 miles out, 
there's sort of a transition that takes place as they move from very urban and suburban environment to more of a country, five, 10 and 15 acre landscape, which is where we are out in the country. I said, well, I'm gonna make an environment that people will wanna come to and we'll make that effort. And I think native plants, you can do that. People will drive for them. And that's rewarding in, unto itself, but it's not customary of retail to be so far out. Mm-hmm. But if you create an, an inspiring environment where people can come and learn, I find that they make the effort. And through the years, we have done more and more and more what we call through the gate and not be so dependent on landscaping. That's been a transition that I've seen over time. Because again, you're sort of sorting folks out. It's not those that are just passing by. The people that are coming to you are people that are interested and they want to buy and they want to learn and they want to know. You mentioned so many things that I think would be really useful to know. It sounds like you went through multiple people telling you what how to run your, your business or trying to find <laughs> the specifics of like, should I grow? Should I not grow? How sh- should I connect? Like, what are the things that if I want to start a nursery tomorrow, what should I ask myself? To get started. How vigorous are you? (laughs) (laughs) How do you want to spend your day? Do you like working in the heat? Um, Are you adapted to Florida climate? To me, it's like, how do you want to spend your day? We only have so many days on the planet. I keep telling young people, most of your day is spent working, preparing to go to work and working and getting home again. So if you had a choice and, and you could, find the land and you were interested, then just think how you want to spend your day. I also think that it's important to stay flexible, well, physically, but mentally flexible about changes and all the surprises that can come about on so many levels, like due to weather or recession. So just being able to kind of roll with it. We really like to find people that can work in the heat, that enjoy it, that are inspired by it. And we have to you know, expect that of ourselves too. We do all the work that everybody does. We share in all the work. So everybody does everything. Everybody That's does everything. <laughs> there's no delegation. There's, yeah. there's weeding or there's watering or there's selling. Yeah. I mean, some people are better at one yeah. type of work than another, but we insist that. And I have always said that. When you get there, when you start the day, everybody does everything. There's a lot of physical physicality in that, like the weeding and working on the heat. But then, you know, everybody gets to have breaks in the shade and pot up in the shade and work with customers. So schlepping plants. Yeah, a lot of (laughs) schlepping. And and then we do installation work too. So we dig all of our own holes and... We follow landscaping from the plants in the nursery into the ground and even after that. So we don't subcontract at all. We do the whole thing from beginning to end. So when we get on a landscape, Annie's there and she's working with whomever, as I was for years with whomever was with us, but we, we stayed with, you know, the whole idea with the landscaping is one-on-one with the landowners. So we are there. And then we, obviously we've been in nursery for a long time. So we're there afterward for the, now there are a lot of questions done by email, but there used to be a lot of phone calling back and forth. What's happening? What's this? What's that? Yeah. There's there's a lot of that. That's a part of 
what we were talking about before, which is there's so many aspects to what we do, which can make the work very exciting because you're not doing the same thing over and over again. So Mm -hmm. even though some of the jobs can be kind of like a little mundane where you're just, unless I really enjoy weeding, but if you don't really enjoy weeding, it can be a little... But we do have all these aspects, like we work with the public. So you have to be able to work with people and to not go crazy from that. And then we also work out in the heat. So you have to stay healthy so you can keep up with that kind of work. We also now do online stuff. So there's Facebook and Instagram and the website. So there's all aspects of what we do. Mom's writing a lot of articles all the time. Is there a a most common mistake that you think native plant growers, and well, I mean, actually just nursery owners make? A common mistake. Hmm. I feel like we probably made all of the mistakes, but I think keeping our inventory diverse, but not too diverse because we have to maintain all the plants. We have to grow the plants that might not be available to us at that moment. We have to so source the plants. We have to source the plants. We have to sell the plants. They have to to look good. And they're ephemeral. That can be nerve wracking. My brother was a potter and he could create a year's worth of inventory and put it on the shelf. And all he had to do was dust it. You're living with living plants and that have a life cycle and a period of maximum sellability. And then they have to be cut back or or they have to be potted up or they have to go into the landscape. So you have to understand what that's like. Can't be overgrowing. You can't be without the resources you need. You constantly have to be aware that everything at a nursery needs care all the time. (laughs) That's what I would say. There's no on the shelf for a year until it sells or something. You have to be aware of the flow and then you can't be too frightened by that. You learn from the flow of plants from seed to, you know, to four inch to one gallon to three gallon and out the gate or just seven gallon and the labor that's involved at each one of those levels. I sometimes worry with Annie about overwork. You have to be able to stop. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You have to be able to end the day knowing you can come back the next day. You're in trouble if you're up in the middle of the night worrying. That's the biggest problem of owning your own business is if you wake up in the middle of the night and the wheels are spinning and and you're in trouble, you need a good night's sleep. So you have to figure out a way of being your own best friend and working hard, but keep learning. What I always say is plants. This is not, you know, brain surgery. This is not childhood cancer. These are plants. If it gets dramatic, then we can stop planting that or stop growing that plant, or we can do something differently. The world of plants is calmer and quieter and gentler to me than the world of medicine, let's say, or even teaching. And that's what I like about the plants is that the the whole ambiance is very different. It's a plant world. It's not our world. Yeah. The work is never ending and you do have to be your own best advocate when it comes to your health and like your hours that you're putting in, especially if you have a family and other things going on. Right. (laughs) That's it. You just have to know, know when to stop at the end of the day. That's it. It sounds like there's definitely different skills to keep in mind to have under your belt. And one of the big ones sounds like management, whether it's time or how do you manage 
the different plants that you have with all of their different needs. I'm sure every every plant needs different things. Do you have a like a system for managing something like that? We have trial and error. Trial and error. <laughs> and to be honest, like we will move plants. We're still moving plants. Like we always are moving. We're plants. always moving plants. It's a frustration for our employees and for us. But like, I think you just have to be okay with like changing your mind and trying new things and being like, okay, this plant's getting too much irrigation here. So let's move it out of irrigation. Again, it depends on how long you're holding that plant for. So if we, if we get in a plant from the growers or we move a plant to our retail area. Yeah. We have an offsite area where we can move plants that are not doing well or need to be cut back or where we're growing repotted our growing area. So we have a a retail area and then the, on another area completely. So we're moving plants back. That's what I meant about schlepping. We, We move plants a great deal. You know, the seasons change and the needs change with the seasons as far as watering and amount of light. We also are not able to sell a plant to the public that is dormant in the pot. It's hard to sell deciduous trees in the winter time, if they're just like a stick. <laughs> so we do a lot of moving around and we, we do try to maintain our retail area to a very high standard. We might try to make sure our signage is really good. Our plants are all beautiful and our growing area is a lot more messy and wild. So we don't have to do all the maintenance needed in the growing area that we would do in the retail area. So that really helps. And when we went organic or when we stopped using chemicals, that also became a big concern. We actually downsized the nursery and streamlined the nursery a little bit more because of the more physical labor needed in maintaining nursery without the use of Roundup. But we're still working through everything. Like we will expand our tree section and we just put in a row for our trees. And we discovered there were some new like drip emitters. So we're trying those out. We'll try out new alternatives to Roundup all the time. Like we work with vinegar or we we're always open to like the latest products and the newest ideas <laughs> that are coming out there. We try to stay away from landscaping cloth, which is another thing that makes us more different than a lot of nurseries. We don't like the petroleum product landscape cloth that a lot of people use. So we don't even use that at our nursery or on our landscapes. So we are always interested in the latest like alternative, organic, more sustainable methods for the nursery, even if that means more labor. Have you seen any changes in over the past years with the way plants behave with climate changing? Things are getting hotter. Getting hotter. (laughs) The plants suffer a little bit more. Really, once the plants get in the ground, I feel like they're still fine, but in the nursery plants can suffer if we go through droughts. We had that extreme freeze recently. This last year, we had a pretty bad freeze here. I'm prepared for things just to get more extreme. So hotter, wetter, colder in the winter, more hurricanes. (laughs) That's another thing about this industry is like every summer, I'm like, I wonder if this is the summer when the nursery gets wiped out. (laughs) (laughs) It depends, really dependent on irrigation you know the well the yeah. whole thing is well we're in an irrigation and if our then, pump goes out we're in we've trouble. lost the pump seemingly complete literally if you lose the pump and irrigation possibilities you just got a few days we have backup 
ponds we can get to. We've had to use those in, during hurricanes when we've lost electricity for days on end. It's a water-dependent business. So you're constantly watching the irrigation, constantly watching the drippers, constantly at the mercy of your pump. <laughs> that's, that's what I say. Keep flowing, keep flowing. The um, reason why we're able to be in New York for this short period of time in the summer is because we have a great staff there now doing all those things like watching the watering and monitoring the plants. So yeah, it's all the time it has to be done. Being prepared for the unprepared, which sounds terrifying a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think with the changes that you've seen over the years that it's become easier or harder for someone to start a native nursery? I'd say easier. Yeah, easier. Much easier. Part of that also is that a lot of people are retiring. What I've seen is they've already been gardening with natives in the state where they're retiring from. So I'm seeing more of a national movement. And so as these people come to Florida, they're already sort of aware of what I call natural gardening or and use of native plants. And they come right to us. I think more people are aware of the desire to use native plants. And I think that is going to spur more growing. Hopefully that's the case. We need younger people to come on board. A lot of our growers are near retirement, as we know. I would just encourage people to be thinking how valuable it is as an industry. And for the fact that we're losing a lot of our biodiversity and we can be a force to stop the loss of so much local fauna by working with the local flora. I can't think of a better way to spend a life. Is there any tools that you think still need to be developed to help nursery owners be more successful? Government support, government support, government support. University, city, town, state, local village. We need incentives. Incentives and also, I would say in many levels, uh, greater understanding of the use of natives and therefore setting up regulations based on the fact that we want to minimize water usage and we want to minimize or eliminate fertilizer and pesticides. I would love for there to be more incentive for homeowners to transition their landscapes to native And also more support for like what we were talking about, people that want to start growing. So more money available for them to get started. But I think that there should be rewards and incentives for people that are working with native plants because it is difficult and it's hard, but it's also like the, the ethical environmental choice. So I'm hoping that like my mom is saying that government will step up. They, you know, they come up with programs so that ranchers can keep ranching, <laughs> citrus owners can keep producing, grow, you know, citrus. I'd like to see in government incentives to promote the use of sustainable plants. Small yeah. time growers, yeah. growers incentives. I also wanted to give you the, the floor to, or the opportunity really to say anything you wanted to say for anyone that wants to listen to our podcast. <laughs> Thanks for listening this long. (laughs) We appreciate you. And you can reach out to us at our nursery or come visit us and talk to us and see what we're doing anytime in Sarasota. 
Yeah, we're also looking into, we have 10 acres and we use about three of it. And we now have a young woman, we've set aside an area where she can grow. And we have another individual that's setting up an area where you can grow mushrooms on our property. And I'm hoping that we can, as we move into the future, provide growing space for young and enthusiastic and individuals that want to, to grow that have the ethics that we have. Land can be expensive, but you can find ways of working with people that already have land. And that's that's what we're trying to do, create a growing spaces for more growers. So if you're thinking about getting into the industry, then I think you have to be creative about land because it's so expensive nowadays. But there are alternatives and you need to maybe go to growers that are already available, you know, already working and ask for an area on their nursery, you know, with a, with a minimum startup fee. We actually did no startup fee for a year. And then, now, what can you afford? There are um, ways that you can grow, even if you don't have land. And you can find people that, that will work with you. So that's a, that's a way to get started. And don't be discouraged if you need to be far inland. Because I'm, as we said, we're inland. People have come to us. And there's just a lot of ways to be creative around growing or finding space to grow. (laughs) Thanks, Annie and Laurel and Mitzi for sharing those native plant business insights with us. If you're in Sarasota, Florida, I highly recommend a visit to Florida Native Plants Nursery. Great people and great plants. Check them out at floridanativeplants.com. Great website. And don't forget to check us out, the Native Plant Horticulture Foundation, at nativeplanthort.org, where you can learn more about us, contact us with your questions, and support our work, including this podcast. Go Native! Go Native!